Today on Daily Meds, Pastor Richard Forney discusses how we must prepare the way to receive the many blessings that Jesus brings to us. Now let's tune in. I'm going to go to an Old Testament scripture today. An Old Testament prophet who is very familiar to us because we read and study of him during the Christmas time. We read and study of him during Easter. We read and study of him along the way. And that is the prophet Isaiah. Amen. I'd like for you to turn to chapter 40 in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 40. I want to begin focusing on verse Number one. And we're going to be speaking from. The idea, the truth, the concept. Of preparing. The way. For the Lord. Amen. Amen. Preparing the way. For the Lord. If you found Isaiah 40 in your Bible, whether it be you've turned to the right place or you've scrolled to the right place, I'm going to be reading today from the NIV. But with whichever version that you have, you can read along in your particular version. I'm going to be focusing on verses one through verse number five. When you found that, if you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. If you're not able to stand, we won't take offense to it. Amen. But if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence to the reading of God's word. Verse number one says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse three. A voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Preparing the way for the Lord. Now, that particular phrase at the end of our reading should have sounded familiar because it is in Luke chapter 3 
that John the Baptist uses this very phrase when he goes out in front of Jesus, the Messiah, to prepare the way. If you remember, John the baptizer was the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth, and he had been ordained, appointed, purposed for the very reason to go as a herald before Jesus Christ and declare that hope is on the way. It was his job to go and get the people ready to receive the one who would come in which there would be no man who was fit to untie his shoes. He was the one who would go before the one who was declared king of kings and lord of lords. He was the one who was to go before the one who was declared the bright and morning star. He was the one who was to go before Emmanuel, God with us, It was John's job to go and prepare the people to be ready to receive. Amen. I say all of that to say this first. In order for the glory of God to be revealed, in order for you and I to be ready to receive the Lord, there must be preparation that takes place. God is wanting, desiring to do some things, but there must be preparation that takes place. That if there is no preparation, then it cannot, what God wants to do, cannot be completed. Amen? That's the truth. So much of a truth that God had John the Baptist go and proclaim to a people that they need to get ready so that they can see the Lord when he shows up, so that they can recognize the Lord when he shows up, so that they can receive from the Lord what he desires to give when he shows up. And if you're not ready, if we're not ready, if a people are not prepared, you will miss what God wants to do. And I want to declare to you with absolute boldness, That in 2019, God wants to do some stuff. And let me make it clear what I mean by stuff. God wants to restore what's been broken. He wants to make right what's been made wrong. And he wants to fix in our lives things that the devil has tried to mess up. But just because God wants to do it doesn't mean that you can receive it unless you are prepared. Prepared for his glory to be revealed. Amen. Let me work on this preparation thing a little bit more because you're not buying it. See, see, you know that a farmer who desires to grow wheat must go out into the field and do what? He's got a plow. He's got to plow it. You're right. I'm going to get there. He's got to plow it and he's got to till the ground. Amen. He just can't go out and throw his seed on an untilled, unplowed ground. What the ground has to be what? Prepared. If he goes out foolishly and just throws his seed on a ground that has not been untilled, there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed, the seed is good. 
The problem is the ground has not been made ready to receive the seed. But when the ground is made ready to receive the seed and then the farmer plants the seed, what happens is that because God has already placed in the earth all the nutrients and ingredients necessary to produce what is in the seed, God does the work. But it was all about preparation. That if you and I are to receive the restoration, the healing that God wants to do in our lives and in our situations, there must be preparation. And God has been impressing this upon me so heavy these past few days that I couldn't get around it. He's like, I want to restore. I want to restore. But there must be preparation. Amen. Amen. The book of Isaiah has about 66 chapters. We showed up in chapter 40. The first 39 chapters really are about the proclamation of God's judgment upon his people. It, it is it is in that prophecies that are told and spoken about what God will do and what God desires to do and what God is going to do at the appointed time. But it is not until we get to chapter 40. That the prophet Isaiah then begins to declare a truth about what is to come. That up until this point, it has been God saying, get right, straighten up. I want to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. But I've got to judge some stuff that you've been doing. I've got to deal... Why? Because God is a just God. God is a just God. You cannot come to God and do whatever you want to do and think that you're going to get away with it. Okay, let me. Let... You and I takes God's grace and his mercy for granted. Unfortunately, sometimes people use God's grace to sin. It is a license to do what I want to do, to say what I want to say, and to act the way I want to act with the understanding that God is a forgiving God, that God is a loving God, that God is a compassionate God, and that when I've done what I'm going to do, all I got to do is jump back over here in grace zone and say, oh God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And God does. That's what I love about him. God does. When you come back with a sincere heart and say, God, I am sorry, God forgives. And God receives. But this is the part of God that you and I struggle with. God is a just God. And God is saying, now, I told you not to do that in the first place. And you ignored me and you decided that your wisdom was better than my wisdom. And so now while I forgive you, you still got to go to time out. 
I'm, I, we're, we're, we're talking about a truth about God. He is a just God. And all of my sins have been covered. They have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. All of them. Every last one of them. My sins past have been covered by the blood of Christ. He has forgiven me of those sins. My sins present have been covered by the blood of Christ. He has forgiven me for those sins. What I do should I receive another day on tomorrow. My sins will be covered by the blood of Christ. He has forgiven me. But don't you ever think that your sin is not without consequence. There is always a payment. Remember, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What you and I have been redeemed from is death. My sins are not going to cause me to be eternally separated from the loving God who loves me so much that he gave his one and only son to redeem and save me. No, I've been redeemed. I'm covered by the blood of the lamb. But what I need to know, what you need to know is that sin has consequences. The psalmist said it this way, if I had cherished sin in my heart, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, you would not have heard me. Listen to the consequence that when you cherish sin in your heart, when you cherish iniquity in your heart, your prayers don't make it to God the way they need to make it to God. That's a serious consequence. That's a serious consequence. Listen, watch, watch this. Watch this. This is real. If 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 I mess around and start mistreating the gift that God gave me. I'm talking about Miss Manita. If I mess around. And don't honor her like the treasure that she is. Because he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Hmm. And what I know is this, is that the truth be known, you really can't find her. God got to bring her to you. He, he got, God got God to drop her off at your door. He got to open your eyes so that you can see that this is the one designed just for you. And she becomes a gift from God. But here's what happens. If I start abusing her. If I start abusing her verbally with my mouth, tearing her down and not building her up, because God says that I am supposed to build her up, that I am not supposed to let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only that which is useful for building others up. I am supposed to hold her up, build her up, and make her ready to be all that God has created her to be. That if I flip the script and start talking about everything that she does not do, and everything that makes me mad, and everything that does not meet up to my expectation wait a minute I'm no longer doing what God told me to do I'm not creating an environment in which she can flourish because he says if I create an environment by which she can flourish that she will grow up and be like a fruitful vine mm, I almost want to stop right there because you know fruitful vines cling real close You know, wine comes from the grapevine, right? Wine makes you happy. 
anyway, he said, <laughs> he said that that's what, will, that's what will happen. But check it out. If I flip the script and stop doing what he told me to do, there's a consequence for my sin. There's a consequence. Well, first of all, the house ain't going to be very pleasant. Amen. That's one, that's one consequence that shows up right there. I know you've heard that expression that said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Some of us know that to be true. That's one of the consequences. But here's another consequence. Brothers, did you know that when you mistreat the gift that God gave you, the woman, the bride that God gave you, that just like the sin stops your prayers from getting to God, did you know that when you start doing that, God turns his back? And he's like, you want me to listen to you the way you treating her? And he said, no, 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 no. You need to get it right. Why? Because the marriage is a picture of what? The relationship between Christ and the church. And he says to the husband that you ought to love her like Christ loved the church. I don't care how much she gets on your nerve. You better love her like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. So he said, you better die. Die to self. Die. Because your job is to love her and be a model and a picture of what I did. And he says that when you stop doing that, I, I, can't, I can't honor you until you get back in line. I'm saying all of this to say there's a consequence. There's a consequence to sin. Amen? There's a consequence. There's a consequence to disobedience. As parents, you know this. That you can tell your children to do a certain thing. And if they dishonor that request too many times, there are consequences that must follow. Amen. I like the way Dave Ramsey describes it. Dave Ramsey is the guy that talks about uh, money management. And he he talks about uh, consequences and he talks about poor decisions, decisions that that are ill advised. And he says that when you make one of those poor decisions and he's dealing with it from a financial perspective, he says that you have to pay what he calls stupid tax. <laughs> stupid tax. That was a stupid decision with your money. And now because you made a stupid decision with your money, you've got to pay Stupid tax. Doesn't mean that God is not going to deliver you. Just means that part of it is going to be taxing upon you. Amen. See, the consequence that comes to us sometimes says that there, there are things that that happen that we need to deal with and get in order so that God is welcome so that God can come in and restore. Bear with me because I really want you to get this concept. This principle. That God has promises for you. And by the way, God's purposes for your life are better than anything that you ever come up with. What God wants to do with you was ordained from the beginning. And that your life will all be, always be subpar until you line up with what God wants to do. You and I must 
must line up with what he desires to do, how he created us and what he created us for. We must line up with with that so that he can maximize what he has put in us. God delivered. I'm going to take you back because you're familiar with this story. God delivered a people out of captivity. They were the Hebrew people who had been enslaved for over 400 years. He delivered them out of captivity with the expressed intent of taking them into the what? The promised land. It was a land that he had promised. He had made this promise to Abraham, who was the father of the faith. He promised Abraham that Abraham would be the father of many nations. And he promised to give him a land that would be flowing with milk and honey. That means that it was going to be a land that was prosperous. And in that land, their provisions, their needs would be met. This is what God wanted to do. And so God rescued them and delivered them. And you remember the power that God demonstrated when he delivered them up to the point of where, first of all, he killed the firstborn of the Egyptians that were holding them bondage. And then when the Egyptians pursued them, God opened up the Red Sea so that his people can pass through. But then he closed it up when their enemies tried to pursue them. God's intent was for them to move to the promised land. But if you remember the story, there was a problem. Something happened. God said to them one day, now is the time for you to move into the land that I have prepared for you. And they had sent out 12 spies to go and take a look at the land. If you remember the story, there were only two of the 12 that came back with a good report about what God wants to do with the land. They came back. It was Joshua and Caleb came back and they said the land that God wants to give us is a good land. That the grapes are so big that we couldn't carry one cluster by ourselves, but we had to drape them on the shoulders. So he was saying that they were saying we can take this land, even though the people in the land are much, much bigger than we are, because they said those people were so big that we look like grasshoppers to them. Let me pause and just say to you that whatever God wants to give you, he can give you. And it does not matter what the opposition is that stands in the way. Doesn't matter how impossible it seems. He is the God of miracles. He is the God of impossibilities. He breaks them. There were 10 other people who convinced the people that God couldn't do what God wanted to do. There were 10 other people who said that we're too small to get what God wants us to have. There were 10 other people that forgot who God was. And because the complaints of people normally rise up over the praise of people. Let me say that again. It's almost like this. If you get bad service at a store, you will tell more people about the bad service you got than the good service that you get. 
Because when we go and get good service, we expect good service. And so we don't go back and tell anybody that we got good service, but let somebody get bad service. And they go and they blowing up Twitter. They blowing up Facebook. They blowing up everything. Everybody they talk to. Let me tell you what happened because they want to spread the bad news. Well, it was the same way. These 10 folks want to spread this negativity. They want to spread the junk. And as a result, that junk worked its way all the way through the nation of Israel. And then you had 10 people that caused the entire nation to miss what God wanted to do. What was their sin? It was the sin, first, of disbelief and second, disobedience. Disbelief and disobedience. What did I tell you earlier? Sin has its consequences. Now, I don't know if your mind went to places and thinking about things that you shouldn't do in the dark, but I just want to tell you, we move beyond doing stuff in the dark. Listen, I just want to tell you guys, we're not in the sin management, right? We're, we're into living according to the principles and standards of God. And he, and he has helped us to be able to manage our stuff. Amen? He's helped us to be able to manage, you know, uh, trying to make that phone call early in the morning or late at night. He's helped us manage that. But those were sins of unbelief and disobedience. Those are sins that we don't talk about often. We don't talk about that. We just we just tell people to keep the faith. We don't tell them what to keep the faith in. We don't tell them to deal with their stuff. And because those sins rise up, there's a consequence to the sins of unbelief and disobedience. And for the group of people that I'm talking about, what happened with them was God said, "Okay." If you don't want to believe that I am who I am and that I can do what I said I can do. By the way, that's what faith is. Believing that God who is who he said he is and can do what he said he can do. That's what faith is. Faith faith says, oh, it doesn't matter what obstacle is in front of me. If God said I can get past that obstacle, over that obstacle, through that obstacle, under that obstacle, around that obstacle. It don't matter. That obstacle can it cannot stop what God wants to do. Faith says, I believe God can do what he said he can do. And God says, since you choose to not believe me for 40 years. I want you to hear that for 40 years. Here's the consequence for 40 years. You got to wonder. In the wilderness. Wonder in the will. Wait a minute. God is taking care of them. He's providing, isn't he? Yes, because during that time, their shoes did not wear out. During that time, they received food and provision. However, God had more. God wanted to give more. God wanted to do more. But it was the sin of unbelief and disobedience that kept them from receiving God's best, God's plan for them. Amen. 
And we see that cycle being played out over and over and over again in Israel's history. And because scripture was written so that you and I could learn from the mistakes of the past, God records what happened in their experience so that you and I would not repeat what they did. He did not record it so that we can talk about how bad them people were. Even though that sometimes that's what we want to do. Forgetting that we just like them. He said he recorded these things. He captured these things so that we could learn from their mistakes and experience the better things that God has to offer. I'm still talking about preparing the way for the Lord. Why? Because when the Lord shows up, something happens. Something happens. Whenever he shows up, something happens. Can, can I stay with the experience in Egypt for a minute? When, when God showed up, it said the death angel went through the city that night and it said when God showed up, something happened. That everybody who did not have the blood on their doorposts lost a firstborn. Because when God shows up, something happens. But wait a minute, don't just look at the loss, look at what was kept. Because everybody who obeyed God and did what he said do, they had, everybody in their house was well kept. Oh, keep watching, keep watching, because everybody who put blood on the doorpost, what they discovered is that when they got ready to leave, because they were exiting a place, when they got ready to leave, they didn't go broke. They went with their pockets full because they plundered their captives. Because when God shows up, something happens, but you must prepare the way for the Lord. They prepared the way for the Lord by being obedient to what Moses said. Moses said, what you ought to do is take a lamb that's one year old. Go and kill that lamb. Prepare that lamb. Eat from that lamb. Take some of the blood from that lamb and put it on your doorpost. What were they doing? Preparing the way for the Lord. And when you prepare the way for the Lord and the Lord shows up, something happens. Something happens. It is when you get sick and tired. Of being sick and tired. And you cry out unto the Lord like you really want him to show up. Because he says if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. When you get fed up living beneath what God wants for you. And you start preparing the way for the Lord. He'll show up and make something happen. I'm hoping that you are tired of living beneath what God has for you. See, here's the problem. Living in America dupes you and makes you think that God created you for the American dream. See, that's the problem. You think that God made you and put you here so that you can have two cars, a three-bedroom house, so that you can have all the money that you want to do with, so that you can own real estate and own stock, so that you can have a big retirement plan. You think that that's why you're here. And when you are doing those things, you think everything all right. When you got a good running car, everything all right. 
when you're in a nice, comfortable house, when, when you go and turn the lights on, they come on, everything is all right. When you go to the refrigerator and open up the door and you got so much food in there, you can't decide what you want to eat, everything is all right. See, you get the false idea that as long as these things are in order, I got all the money I want, I can go wherever I want to go, do whatever I want to do. You think everything is all right because the American dream has been elevated above what God called you and I to be. You and I are strangers in this place. This is not your home. You and I are never to become so comfortable with this place that we don't want to leave. No, we are citizens of heaven. We belong to the kingdom of God. We have a different ruler, and his name is Jesus. We serve a different master than the one of this world. And you and I are never to become so comfortable in this world that we forget who we are and who we belong to. In fact, James says it this way. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. That means that if you are a friend to the world, you're an enemy to God. Because flesh has nothing to do with the spirit. Because the things of the natural man war against the things of the spirit man. And he says, you and I are spirit people, yes, who happen to be wrapped up in some flesh. Yes, he says that you and I are not to have our directions from this place. We're not to be, so, be, be pursuing earthly goals and earthly things that we have to be pursuing a heavenly goal. That's why you need to send up your timber, as they say. Huh? I, I know some of you, some of you old folks have heard that song. I'm sending up my timber. Huh? Yeah, because because I know that this place is not my home, and I know that my reward is in heaven. And so I'm not going to waste time down here trying to build a kingdom because I know that my my place is there in heaven. Amen. And and what you and I must do is prepare for the Lord to come. We must prepare. We must get ready. Because when he shows up, something will happen. And when, when he makes something happen, it's always the right thing. It's always good. It's always the best thing for his glory. Always. Always, always, always. How do we prepare the way for the Lord since preparation is so important? Well, if an architect has designed a magnificent building, he has taken this blueprint to a construction person contractor to do the work before that contractor can begin implementing what's on the blueprint he's got to begin preparing 
the site for what's on the blueprint. Amen. He's got to go in and dig up some earth for the footings. Because the, the building itself will determine the depth of the foundation. Amen. You can't put a two-story house on the same type of foundation that you put a 30-story building. Can you? Because if you do, you're going to have a problem. And so then the foundation, the prep work, must match what's on the blueprint. Amen? You must deal with it accordingly so that what is on the blueprint can then begin to be laid. The preparation then is the digging up, in this case, of the earth for the footings. It is the gathering then also of the materials to complete the work. Amen. He's, he's got to gather the materials in order to do the work that needs to be done. It is, it is also the bringing together of the resources because the contractor can't do it all. The architect designed it, but the contractor then is going to be the one who actually does the work. And the contractor then has got to pull together different kind of people. He's got to pull together folk who can do concrete work. He's got to pull together folk who can do some sheetrock finishing work. He's got to pull together some folks who can do some plumbing work, some HVAC work, some electrical type work. He's got to then pull in some interior decorators who can do what they need to do. He's got to have painters to do the job. And so he's not going to do it by himself. Because there has to be preparation to see the glory of the architect. The building becomes the glory of the architect. Amen. And there has to be preparation then in order for it to happen. And so what you and I are trying to get to is to be prepared for the glory of the Lord. You need to know that you are a building from God. You are a building from God. You are. Each one of us individually represents a stone and also a building. And when brought together, we collectively become the building of God. Amen? But in order for God's glory to be revealed... There must be some preparation and working on each one of us in order for it to happen. Amen. Let's work this real quick. I want to take you. Bear with me. Bear with me. Go back to Psalm one. Pastor Carol talked about this this morning, but I want you to go back to Psalm one for just a second. And then I'm going to wrap this up because I'm hoping that you're going to go back and read Isaiah chapter 40. And I really want you to read a lot more than Isaiah chapter 40. Are you in Psalm 1 yet? I'm trying to get there. Thank you for waiting on me. Praise God. So in Psalm 1 it says, blessed is the person. It says the man, but I'm going to say person. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not follow the advice of the wicked. Now, wait a minute. I'm giving you the tools to preparation. Okay, here's the preparation for the Lord for the, to, to prepare for the Lord. Here's the preparation. Stop walking in wicked advice. Yes. 
Okay, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You see that? Okay. Here, here, here is part of the problem. Many of us will read the word of God and we don't read the word of God like it's instructions for our lives. What we do is we read the word of God to say that I've had my quiet time. I've had my devotional moment. And then we take God's word and we put it to the side and we move on about our business. What we will do is we take the word of God, we read it, and then we'll turn on the TV and see who's got something to say. And so now we're following the advice of folk who are not interested in honoring God. Normally what they're interested in is getting their pockets lined with more money because most of them that we watch on TV have lucrative contracts that enable them to do what they do day in and day out. And they are seeking to stir up controversy, seeking, seeking to talk about stuff that doesn't make a whole lot of hill of beans to anybody. It's just conversational stuff and it does not reflect or change your life one way or the other. And you and I and other folks will invest more time listening to them than we will seeking God. He says, if you want to prepare the way, stop listening, stop following the advice of the wicked or the ungodly. He said, standing in the way of sinners. Remember, this is preparing the way. And then he says, also sitting in the seat of mockers. It is this progression of you walking along, pausing, and now you're keeping company in places where you ought not keep company. And you're following again ways that you ought not follow. You're involved in stuff that is not godly. Listen, when I'm, when I'm saying that you ought not do, what I'm talking about is as mature believers, we have been called to follow the way of God. I'm not talking about you trying to manage your sins. He has given us his spirit so that you and I do not obey the sinful nature. We obey the spirit. And when the spirit says to us, do this, we do it. That is why if you and I can learn how to keep our mouths closed when the spirit ain't talking, there will be a lot less frustration. If you and I can learn how to listen and wait for him to say what he wants to say, then we will have something good to say. Then we will have wisdom that flows out of our mouth. But sometimes we're so busy talking and we're following our own sinful nature instead of the spirit of God. And what I'm saying is that you and I, if we're going to prepare the way for God, if we're going to prepare the way for the Lord, then we must embrace God's principles. We must embrace God's truth. We must walk according to God's standard. We must stop walking in the counsel of of the ungodly. We must stop standing in the way of sinners. Folks that we know living in sin, stop endorsing sin. The Bible says that love does not rejoice with sin. 
When you see people in sin, you lovingly learn to give them the truth of who God is and you stop rejoicing with it. Stop letting them do that which is bringing harm to their lives. When you willfully allow a brother or sister to just walk in sin, it's just like you watching them walk to the edge of the cliff and not saying to them, hey, come back. Because what you are allowing them to do is walk to their own destruction. Because sin has consequences. And you and I must learn to hate sin like God hates sin, but love the sinner so much that we're willing to do everything that we can to turn them back to God, to turn them away from that path and turn them to God. Then he says, sitting in the seat of mockers, stop keeping company with folk that all they want to do is complain and talk about folk. Stop it. Listen, you've got to get bolder. In fact, I'm praying it right now that you will have the courage that the next time somebody starts talking nonsense that ain't true, that they start mocking the church, that they start mocking the people of God, that they start mocking the man of God. I'm praying that you would have the boldness to get up and walk out of their presence. And then on your way out, you let them know the reason I'm walking away is because I'm one of them that you're talking about. You stop engaging that mess and stop putting up with it. I'm not talking about here because remember, when we leave here, we are the light of the world. Don't you be out there and folk can't tell whether you are the kingdom of God or you are the kingdom of the world. Oh, you, you go to church? Really? Are you a preacher? Oh, you a believer? No, there ought to be some distinguishing features. They ought to know without you walking around, let me go and tell it, without you walking around, preacher in the house, you know what? You know where the word ought to be? The word don't need to be tucked under your shoulder. The word ought to be deep down in your heart so that every time you open up your mouth, what comes out? Truth. That's where it needs. No, there needs to be some distinguishing features. Folks, listen, God has put you where you are for a reason. There was a strategic move of God to put you where you are because you are to be light in dark places. And you need to have the courage to be who God has called you to be. And that when the darkness shows up, you need to have a boldness about you that will allow you to declare the truth of who God is. You need to be bold enough to pray for sick folk in public places. When we prepare ourselves for the Lord, he says, then his glory will be revealed. Don't you want to see the glory of God? Let me help you understand what that means. And then, and then I got to stop because I'm going to have a chance to come back. Let me, let me help you understand what that means. I gave you the picture where the, the, the building itself becomes the glory of the architect when it's been erected. And that's his glory. The, the glory of God is when he manifests and does things that only God can do. 
Now, when John was proclaiming what Isaiah said, John was speaking specifically about about Jesus Christ coming to be the glory of God because Jesus Christ was coming as the savior of the world. When Jesus came, every promise in God was yes and amen. It was fulfilled in God. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. When Jesus came, he said, listen, you no longer have to worry about keeping up with all those rules. All you got to do is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor like yourself because the fulfillment of the law is here. And if you just get hooked up with me, the glory of God, then the power of God is going to be manifest. See, when God shows up, things happen. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty and freedom. There is joy in the presence of the Lord. When the Lord shows up, something happens. So a man by the name of Lazarus, who's a very good friend of Jesus Christ, happened to get sick and he died. Word went to Jesus saying that, oh, your friend Lazarus is sick and he's about to die. Lazarus, whom Jesus loved, was there in a bad situation. Jesus happened to stay where he was for a couple of extra days. And then he decided to go to where Lazarus was. When, when, when Jesus showed up to where Lazarus was to the community where Lazarus was. Lazarus' two sisters were upset and came out. They didn't come out at the same time. They came out one by one. First one comes out and hits him, attacks him. And then the other one comes out later and hits him. But here's what they said. Lord, if you had been here, We know, we know, we know, we know that you have the power to rebuke sickness. And and when you say sickness got to go, sickness got to go. Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, Lord, you the glory of God. If you had been here, if the glory of God had been here, then this sickness would not have had dominion over our brother's body. Jesus said. If you believe. You will see. The glory of God. Did you catch that? Remember the remember the two con- the, the sins we talked about with the, with the consequence. Unbelief and disobedience. Unbelief gets in the way of the move of God because without faith it is impossible to please God. You can't be coming to God trying to get something and you don't believe. Unbelief gets in the way of what God wants to do because in God's economy, God's economy it is an exchange of faith. Your faith for God's power. Your faith for God's working and doing in you what you cannot do for yourself. He says to the, to the sister, listen, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Don't you want to see the glory of God? No, I'm, I'm being... I'm, Guys, I'm listen, I'm being so straight up. I'm being so serious. Listen, let, I, I want I want you to track with me. I, here's here. I'm crazy enough to believe this, that that there are damaged hearts that are going to be restored. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm believing this. Why? It ain't because of who I am. Talk to me. It is because of who he is. Listen, I'm crazy enough to believe 
that there are folks who are experiencing vision problems, that their sight is going to be restored. Uh, Listen, now I just told you that the thing that gets in the way of the glory of God is unbelief. And what I'm trying to say is I'm preparing myself because I don't want anything to get in the way of the glory of God. I, I want God to move in ways that only God can move. Anybody can go to a doctor and get medicine. Anybody can show up at a hospital and get treatment. But you know what? It takes the glory of God to heal. And what I'm saying is, God, prepare the way. And so, God, I'm coming and I'm saying, God, deal with my unbelief. Deal with my disobedience. Deal with the stuff that keeps getting in the way. Deal with me if I'm following the counsel of ungodly folks. Deal with me if I am sitting with mockers. Deal with me if I'm standing in the way of sinners. God, will you just come and make sure that I am not allowing anything to get in the way of you showing up and showing out? Because when he shows up, You know, if the only thing that get, that's getting in the way is folks who are unprepared, that won't be us. Amen. I got to finish the story because when he showed up and said to her that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. He did something that just blew everybody away. He said, by the way, where is Lazarus? And they took him to the place where they had laid Lazarus. And he said, move the stone out of the way. And someone rightly said, but Lord, he's been dead for four days already. And if we move that stone, his body has already started to stink. Oh, I'm trying to get you to see the glory of God. Because if God can take a situation that stinks and deal with it. Can I help you? I, I need you. I need, I need you to hear this because because some of you, you, some of you, you think that you are too far gone. You think your situation is too far gone. You think it is too stinky for God to be able to do anything with it. But God says, move the stone because I can deal with stinky stuff. I can deal with stinky stuff. It ain't no problem. It ain't no problem. And so when they became convinced enough to believe Jesus and obey what he said, They moved the stone. They moved the stone. And when the stone was moved, Jesus made a declaration. Jesus said, and it says in a loud voice, Jesus said, for all to hear, because Jesus could have whispered and Lazarus would have heard him. Jesus made a loud voice for all to hear. It wasn't just for those who were gathered around. When Jesus declared in his loud voice, I need you to know he was talking to the demons who were around as well. Uh, You did know 
You did know that see, some of us believe in angels, but we, we forget that there, are, that, there, that there are those fallen angels who constantly harass. We, we, want, we want good angels to show up, but we forget that there are those other bad angels that are trying to wreak havoc upon our life. He wanted them all to know who was speaking and who was talking and what he was about to do. And when that stone had been rolled away, he spoke in a loud voice and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Out of the darkness comes a man walking through an open tomb. Still with his grave clothes on. Responding to the voice of the master. Responding to the one who created life. Obeying what he said, because everything must heed to the word of God. Lazarus comes out and Jesus says, take them grave clothes off. Why? Because he is no longer dead. He's alive. Why? Because Jesus said, if you will believe. You will see the glory of God. What did the glory of God look like? It looked like Lazarus, a man who had been dead for at least four days, rising from the dead and coming out of the grave. If that's the glory of God with Jesus Christ while he was still on earth, how much more can you and I experience his glory now that he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father? If you and I would just prepare the way for the glory of God. I always love that story because I said that if God can take all of those systems that had been shut down, his respiratory system had been shut down, his circulatory system had been shut down, all of his systems had been shut down. If Jesus could take all of those systems and with a word bring those systems back to life, what can he do with our puny situations? What can he do? That's why I can believe that God is going to take Hearts that are not functioning to their full capacity and restart them and restore them and make them what they should be. That's why I believe he can do the impossible, because if he demonstrated his power like that, his power has not been lost. All he needs is some people to believe and prepare the way for the Lord. Amen. Will you be one of them? Will you be one of them? Will you be one who says that I will prepare the way for the Lord? I will prepare the way for the Lord. I will allow him to wash me and clean me up so that I can be fit and ready for his service. I will give my whole self to him. We sang that song fully surrendered. That's how you become prepared for the Lord. I am surrendered. I will surrender myself for the Lord's glory. God, you can use me. You can use my hands. You can use my feet. God, you can use my tongue. You can use all of me for your glory. Will you? Will you be one who is preparing the way for the glory of the Lord to be revealed? That means forgetting about self and making him the priority. Making him more important than anything else. 
That means pursuing him with all your heart. In believing that he is able to do what he said he can do. Believing that he is a God of restoration. Not based upon me, but based upon who he is. And having the boldness and the audacity to go to him regularly looking for his glory to be revealed. The Bible says that God cannot dwell and will not dwell in unclean places. In order for you and me to be ready, we got to be clean. Thanks be to God that Jesus Christ, anyone, any man or woman who is in Christ Jesus has been washed clean. Jesus said to Peter, I need to wash your feet. I need to wash your feet because you've been walking. You've gotten a little dirty. Let me wash your feet. Let me make you clean so that you then can be a servant for me. Amen. I don't know. You, you, you're familiar. You're familiar with with someone who, who designed and invented a thing that we call floss for your teeth. You know how you can brush your teeth. But your dentist also recommends that you floss your teeth. That brushing of your teeth does not get between the cracks and crevices of your teeth. Amen. In that there is actually from the food that you eat can get stuck in the cracks and crevices of your teeth. And so they recommend that you floss for total cleanness. Amen. You know what happens if you don't floss? There is food that gets lodged back there and it starts to do what? It starts to rot. And it stinks, right? So that means that, that, that you, have, you have stuff that's starting to stink in your mouth. And, and when you're breathing out, you heard, you heard that commercial, somebody else is breathing in and, and they don't want to inhale they, they don't want to inhale halitosis, right? They don't, they don't, want, to, they don't want bad breath. It's true. Come on, y'all. It's true. It's true. So, so then you're, you're exercising good dental hygiene because you are taking care of what? Your mouth so that you can be a vehicle, a vessel to minister to others. Amen? By the way, if you don't floss, if you don't brush, if you don't clean the way you need to clean, that food that continues to remain there can also cause a cavity. Am I right about it? And then, you know, cavities are much worse than just food that's in your mouth and going bad. Cavities then are, are becoming rotten. And now you have a case of, let's call it chronic halitosis, right? And now you need some shown up help to get it done. So before you could just take your little flosser and work it out. But now you've got to go and get an expert to help you deal with the problem that has arisen. Listen, brothers and sisters, I know that's graphic, but I want you to get a picture of this, uh, this, this idea that you and I need to be clean and prepared so that the glory of God can be manifest. Because when the glory of God is manifest, there will come healing and restoration to the people of God so that God's name is magnified. You and I want to be instruments and he is desiring to start with us. 
He's desiring to start with you and me to restore to us that which the enemy has taken. But you and I have to believe that he is able to do it. Amen.